big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello, and a big warm welcome to you. My name's Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And we actually thought we might start a little new beginning thing, which actually we didn't just talk about now, we talked about last week. Just a little quick chat before we start. So this is a Q&A. So we've got lots of yummy questions of yours that we're going to be responding to. Mm-hmm. But we thought at the beginning we could have a little chat, which I'm totally inspired by Russell Brand's um, Banter Decanter, if you listen to his podcast on Luminary. Anyway, um, quick hello. How are you, Lael? <laughs> How's your week <laughs> Well, how's my week been? Well, it's very interesting. I'm here in Melbourne and we have been in lockdown for the last week, which um, again, depending on where people are listening to in the world and what that looks like for you, depending on um, your COVID situation. So that has been very interesting. It brings up a lot of feelings. I have a lot of clients that have a lot of feelings around it. I have teenagers I'm living with who have a lot of feelings around it Um, and it's interesting, but I'm actually good because it has in a way helped me slow down a little bit. So uh, I've been in the middle of a speaking tour and it's meant that I haven't had to travel, but I can still do my talks. And so I'm very grateful for the internet that I can still deliver them online. So I'm trying to see all the beautiful positives of of it and, um, and I'm feeling a lot of gratitude. I am seeing a lot of people struggling here. A lot of people haven't been able to work and um yesterday i took my daughter we went and bought a whole lot of groceries and we went and dropped off a whole lot of groceries um to this beautiful community organization that's just providing food for people who ever needs it they've got almost they're calling it a free supermarket so anyone can come along and just take whatever they want or need um, because there are a lot of families that are really struggling and so that was a beautiful thing to do with my daughter and we talked lots about that giving and what that means and how blessed we are to be in the situation we are. And yeah, it was a, it was a really beautiful poignant thing amongst a lot of trickiness that's going on where I am in the world at the moment. What about for you, Marion? How are you doing? As you know, it was my birthday this week and it's the, they're my two favorite days in the year <laughs> because my lovelies who are now 19 and 14 for the past several years, we've had this tradition on my birthday, Mother's Day, that they pretty much do whatever I want them to do all day, which, um, you know, I was, I was laughing to someone. I went cycled to our local Mullen market this morning and was laughing that when, you know, when when our children are younger and we're with them all the time, often our birthdays or Mother's Day might be like, oh, you know, I'd really like a just a you know an hour or two not with them doing something else reading a book having a massage and now I'm like oh my gosh these are my best days because (laughs) I'm with them all day (laughs) so I get to choose the movie and you know they come for a bike ride and take the dog for all and things that they're not Mm. so interested in normally Mm. I did have a big cry in the middle though which Mm. in many olden years I used to cry a lot on my birthday because all my Mm. birth feelings showed up from being in an incubator and the last few years from all the inner work I've done yay uh, my birthday is usually just so full of joy and pleasure but this time it was as I said to you I think 85% 90% joy and pleasure and and I had a big cry in the middle of some Mm. big feelings showed up which I really welcomed and loved and Mm. listened to lovingly um yeah 
so that, that my birthday kind of lasts all week for me I just, I just love <laughs> I love I love birthdays That's so beautiful I love that I know we've talked about this before birthdays can be just so big in the sense of what feelings it can bring up all the stories I know we've talked about yes. it before in our podcast yes. around expectations feeling loved all that stuff it can be so big can't it yeah really yeah, so, really so big. big time yeah. mm. and you know what I really noticed and we talked about this before as well is that the more work I've done around love and receiving love like the more I get and so my birth I just receive so much love so much acknowledgement which I really love and uh, it really I think it's it helps me remember how yummy these things are for so many of us to receive that kind of love and appreciation and acknowledgement and what a difference yes. it makes to give that to our lovelies so yes and to give it to ourselves like I, I I know we've talked about that pattern before of we can sit in this nobody gets me nobody understands you know they don't see what I do for them I put all this care and and thought into their presence and their gifts and you know I get like nothing from the two dollar shop or just and and the energy that we put out around that and our expectations and belief oh yeah it's really there's so much in it um that can be profound when you kind of sort through that isn't it and that ability to then receive and and have it yeah it's beautiful well well done you amazing oh, thank you. amazing thank you almost <laughs> like a little bit of a marker isn't it each i find that mm. christmas birthdays mm. mother's day is a bit of a marker about where my yes. relationship yes. is and how it's changed yes. over the years and, and, you, and you, I love that so much and I watch myself too because sometimes I will resort back into those things so this Mother's Day that just went I I usually I can hear my kids and my husband you know a week before where should we get mom or this kind of stuff and um there was none of that and I thought have they all forgotten and I'm sure surely they have it and I was watching myself about to move into this whole story around say I just take care of everyone and I do all the thinking and the heavy lifting and no one really cares because they were all really quiet about it and then I found out they'd planned this (laughs) full-on secret mission (laughs) right and the reason why they hadn't asked me what hand cream or candle I want (laughs) they'd been doing this whole other secret mission which kind of had to end up falling over because what they were trying to do for me didn't work but they all came to me and they went mum this is what it is and I was like I didn't even need anything because just the fact that they'd been planning it for weeks (laughs) to surprise me I was like oh but I watched myself really easily move into the same story again of like I do everything for everyone and all that stuff. Anyway, so it was a nice little like, oh, yep, let's just check ourselves there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's good. All right. Shall we start with some questions? Okay, yes, because we have a little bit of a time um, thing today. I'm just going to check my um, microphone just for a little moment mm-hmm. there you go okay so let's start with questions so I'm going to read them out thank you so much for everyone who sent questions sent questions mm-hmm. in we hope we'll get most of them done today or not done uh, mm-hmm. responded to <laughs> so the first one is um hello Marion and Lael I'd be interested in hearing your perspectives on children and shame I'll give an example. I have a three and a half year old daughter. At the moment, she's very interested in dressing herself. Tonight, she was trying to get her pajama top on and was having a bit of difficulty. She was adamant she didn't want help. But when she couldn't get it on, threw the top, ran into the closet and covered her face. I was saying, darling, it's a hard thing to do. It's no problem at all. It took mummy a long time to learn to get my top on. Let's try again in a moment. 
but it took her a full 10 minutes before she would even look at me. This happens a few times a week with different things. I can see she's feeling shame, but can't seem to say anything to help her through it. I'd be very grateful for some guidance. Thank you so very much for the work you do. You're changing the world. Oh, thank mm. you, lovely. Mm. I have a thought on this one now. Can Go. I jump in yes, on this one? Please. So I think this is why one of the reasons that we're proning is so, so helpful is often we want to go in, don't we, as adults and use a lot of words to try and support our children. And words are really helpful. Information is really helpful. It's a key part of aware parenting. But play is often so much more powerful at moments like these. So when children are, um, have got feelings around, I would see this as feelings around competence. And when feelings around competence show up, one of the most helpful things we can do is nonsense play. So nonsense play is, is one of the nine forms of attachment play that Aletha Salter um, created, developed. She's got a book on it called Attachment Play. And it's basically we are playing um, in a goofy kind of way that we cannot do something. So it might be um, that moving in and uh, also kind of trying to put a top on, trying to put pajamas on and putting them on her head and going, oh, it goes here. Did you like my pajamas? Or, well, I can do this. Uh, let me, hang on, I'll put it on my foot. Or, you know, we just do silly, goofy things. Or we um, we just do things that are not designed to be done and appear to be like thinking it's the, the accurate way to do things. And often that will really support children and, and teens, any age really, around the feelings that they have around not being able to do things. Um, so that was my initial thought. I've got more thoughts as well, but I'd love, I'd love for you to actually get a word in edgeways. No, 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 that's good. I love that. I actually, I, I actually, um, I mean, I was about to go down the play route as well, but I was like, yes, just that, that nonsense stuff is so powerful, isn't it, in helping... Yes give permission for the laughter for that we make mistakes we can't get it right all those kind of things and that you know that's important as you're saying up into our teen years like I often see the delight in my children when I can't do stuff and when I stuff it up <laughs> like they just there is a lot of humor and stuff in that for them which I think helps them go oh yeah I'm I mess things up as well you know and, and that's okay so I really do love that beautiful reminder of it I mean I, I just want to acknowledge how beautiful um the mum is and saying yes I find that hard too and it took me long a long time to learn I love that you're offering that empathy and that compassion around gosh that's really tricky for me as well um you know I think it is also too uh, it's you know I think children and it sounds like her daughter wants to be quite independent in what she's wanting to do and dressing herself and I think sometimes I work with parents that have the opposite where they know their children can get dressed and do stuff but they don't want to and they want help and and we always look at that lens don't we that every behavior is always telling us something you know what's it telling us what do we need in that moment so you know in that moment what this reader is asking perhaps some more some silliness some connections some play to help that um, also to just be able to sit in that space of the uncomfortableness you know, if your daughter does go and hide in the cupboard or what she might need to, um, you know, to perhaps let that protection down that she might be feeling in that moment if she's kind of, you know, retreating and not necessarily wanting to 
to feel what's going on or move into it, you know, whether mum could be a little bit playful then or even just sit with her quietly to just be like, this is hard and let her know that it's okay for her to feel whatever she's feeling. But also, again, if there's anything for mum in there around what we perceive to be shame or what comes up for her as, you know, this isn't okay or what should I do to fix this in that moment, I think sometimes that can be a big thing too for parents of I'm seeing her do something, I want to make that okay, I want to make that better and sometimes it's actually just being with them in that moment and waiting for the child to shift and move when they're ready and with no judgment around it. Yes, I love all of those, Lau. So yummy. Yes, because um, I was thinking that too, that uh, there may be shame, but it may also be other things going on here. And I think it can be exactly as you said, so so easy to interpret things through our lens, which of course we're doing all the time. Mm. Um. I was also thinking another little game. I don't know why I seem to be on the attachment play. Like, it's, again, if children are like hiding, sometimes doing like little kind of um, um, separation games, a little kind of peekaboo almost type of thing. Like, uh, where is she? I thought she was here. I'm sure she was here. You know, maybe like poking your head in, but poking it back out again. So again, you know, when we're trying to, we're wanting to move in and, and make connection, that can be a really helpful way in ways that are just not. Um, no, not kind of forceful, but just gentle invitations for mm. connection. So if a child is kind of wanting, is is moving away from connection, actually doing that kind of, where are you? Or I'm right here. And then moving away again and then moving in again can help with um, reconnecting again. Mm. I love that. Such a beautiful reminder, isn't it? Because as adults, we often want to use words all the time. Yes. And what's wrong, sweetheart? And tell me it's okay. You know, and we often... Yes come with the words when really that playfulness or that being able to sit just in presence in that moment is our energy speaks a bit more towards creating the safety for them to lean into it a little bit more or to drop what's feeling because the words often again um you know it's we're bypassing the actually feeling we're just kind of logically trying to make sense or talk our way out of what's going on where that's where the play is so beautiful or sometimes just sitting there just like and saying I know this feels hard I'm right here with you and just waiting you know sometimes I and I know we've talked about this before sometimes when my kids are really big in something and I've tried all the tricks and I've tried all the tools and they're not moving then I get quiet and I just sit and I wait for them to show me what they need and that's where they'll either say something or they will play or they'll get angry about something or just something will happen and I'll be like ah that's what you need in this moment so it's something you know it's really important that we don't know all the time sometimes we don't know what we need to do and that's where we can just bring that presence and quiet sometime to just watch and observe and let them show you where they need to move next Mm, yum and I know you said Lael already about um, invitation for this mum to also be reflecting on what's going on for her I would also be thinking uh, particularly if that's the perception that it's shame is there something going on in your life dear listener where um, you know perhaps there's something uh, an edge for you there's something that you want to be able to do and that you're not able quite able to do or your own um internalized shame that's that's also here so often our children will be inviting us to attend to similar themes so that might be another thing but i want to second what you said alone to really celebrate all you're doing this mama mm. all the love and all the compassion and yeah um mm. we hope this is helpful for you mm. beautiful yay
I do want to say, and I meant to say this right at the beginning, that we didn't say something around, um, of course, we're just responding to a few sentences. So, of course, to really understand what's going on um, and in a consultation with, with us or any aware parenting instructor, Aletha, we would generally do, um, you know, have lots more of in information and see what's going on. So, of course, we're just answering um, in a way that may, you know, there may be way more information that is required to actually be able to answer these questions. So mm. please, if you're, if you're ever unsure, please, you know, go and go and get a session or more from an aware parenting instructor or from Aletha. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, next. next. So there's a few questions from the next person. Listener, thank you. So I'm going to let's share two or three of them. Um, number one, how to raise non-competitive boys. Love this one because I would say both of our boys, where well, you've got a man, mm -hmm. <laughs> man your son, um, have grown up to be very much non-competitive. Mm. Do you want to mm. share anything about that now? Well, I think it's interesting because I've watched um, my son play really competitive sports. So he's yes. an athlete and yes. um, he was very much into that. It was interesting. Um yeah, it's really interesting the elements of competition and not. And I think the, the flip side of competition can be, as we are well aware of, I'm not good enough or only the best are in the team, all those kind of things. And, you know, I've seen some absolute beauty come from my son playing competitive sport. I've seen incredible um, growth in him as a young man, being part of a team, having other mentors, pushing himself to to excel with his body and learning and, and, you know, wanting to work really hard to get into a really good team. Like I watched him learn a beautiful lesson of, Hey, I, I need to um, put in the effort. I can't just get there just because I want to, you know, and, and that taught him some beautiful stuff around determination and growth and excellence and stuff like that. So I've seen a lot of beauty in it. I have to say, I've seen a lot of beauty in it. I also um, was well aware of, you know, what's going to happen if he doesn't get picked or how that feels. And even in the times when he didn't, again, how I viewed it was these are beautiful opportunities for him to feel the feelings that come up around who he is, you know, and that I always looked at it through that lens because it was never my, yes, go play, um, you know, professional sport, but he wanted to and he was talented enough to, to move to a certain degree and a certain level. Um, and there were times where he didn't get picked. And there were big feelings around that. And I really, both my husband and I just really held space for him to navigate that. And what I was watching for is I hope he doesn't define himself that he's not enough just because he didn't get picked. But, you know, what was interesting is just we never really had to have those conversations because we just kept holding space for him to feel how he feels. And he felt his disappointment. And, and then he went, okay, well, I could actually train more like this or I could do, the, you know, like he found his way. And then he decided as he got older, he actually said, you know what, I actually don't think I may, I don't think I want to be competitive at this level because it's losing its fun and he came to that decision on his own and he said they felt too much pressure I don't think I'm going to be a professional athlete I want to do more of these things and and then he found his way through to another place and um and so what was interesting in watching that journey for him because um you know, he did have incredible talent that he could have maybe moved more towards. He was really trusting his own journey and what he was calling to himself to learn through that. So I have found that to be really fascinating watching on that level. As far as, um, and I'm talking from a sporting level, you know, what also I have seen as being competitive with other boys or just in the family of getting his needs met, you know, for me, 
when our children feel connected to us and when they feel they get their needs met, they sit in a sense of there's enough for everybody. I don't need to compete to make sure that I have enough or I'm getting your attention or that I'm the best because there's a sense of that there is, there's enough for everybody. And I love that my son, who's a very physical man, challenges his body all the time. So he's now into rock climbing in a big way, climbs every day. Like he pushes his body and he loves it. Like he loves to see what he's capable of and he loves challenges. And that's a big part of his personality. Like he just, he loves to see where he can take it to. I do not have that in my genes at all. I'm just like, nah. I'm just all about comfort more, but I love to see that within him. But I also see that he doesn't have any story that's like, well, I'm not enough if I'm not this. And I think that comes back to, you know, when our kids feel connected, when we're able to meet their needs in the way they need or hold space for whatever they need to navigate, their sense of knowing or or acceptance of who they are becomes really strong so they don't feel the need to compete. Yeah. I also just have to tell you this one story that I've thought about. I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast. When my son was playing football, soccer, when he was like maybe under 12s, under 13s, in pretty competitive team, they were doing really, really well. There was a boy in the team who never scored and he and he wasn't, he was he wasn't a natural sportsman. And, you know, by the kind of towards the end of the season, um, there was a game and they were winning, and all the boys on their own decided that they were going to support this one boy so he could score a goal. Oh. And and heaps of them could have scored themselves, but what they did is they were playing. They just all worked so that he could finally get the ball wow. and he could score the goal. And I swear all the parents stood on the sideline crying because <laughs> they all did it themselves. No adult said you should do this. They all just knew, hey, let's help him. And this boy scored this goal and they went and lifted him up. It was just wow. so magnificent. And, again, that's where I think I saw the beauty of um sportsmanship and where it can be magnificent I know there's a really dark side to that sometimes um, but I have seen a lot of beauty in it so yummy Lau gosh mm. what a gorgeous story mm. I that love was it. beautiful mm. yay mm. Mm, I'd like to say from from my son who is a gamer very different to a sportsman <laughs> um, I, I really love hearing him playing with his friends and there you know there's it's often you know, they might be playing a game and like, nah, 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 playing one moment against each other. Mm. The next moment they're playing together collaboratively mm. and next minute he's buying them stuff because he wants the, you know, online, <laughs> you know, game points so that they can be part of it. And mm. I really see that as well. It's like that, uh, what I'm hearing from what you're sharing and what I've seen with my son is there's that capacity to move in and be in that place where in that game there is that, you know, oh, oh, in that um, soccer game or in that mm. online game. But there isn't it's like so fluid it's like then mm. the next minute it's like yes let's help this boy score this goal mm. or yeah let's let's buy my friends some points mm. so that we can play together so it's it's quite different isn't it and I think mm. aware parenting all the core tenets and practices of aware parenting are really set up to support that mm. for for all humans to actually mm. be deeply connected and feel loving and compassionate towards others to want to um to be with as well as to um, excel and to become more competent and to mm. and to thrive. Which I think we see in adults a lot too because we can have this competitive thing of I'm not enough or that person's earning more money than me or they've got, you know, more success and, and then um, we can often, you know, 
be judgmental of people or not want to support people who are doing similar stuff or and you know I think the more that we feel connected to ourselves and our truth and what we're doing you know the more we want to champion others to be doing that as well to supporting them to be like yes go there's you know there's enough for everybody you know to be successful and to um to experience that and I think as adults we do that we do it a lot here in Australia we talk about this tall poppy syndrome if anyone's successful making it everyone jumps in to criticize them and I just think I celebrate Everybody who takes a risk, who puts themselves mm. out there, who dares to try something new, I'm like, yes, good on you. You did it. <laughs> like it doesn't matter where it goes. You just said yes to yeah. stretching. And um, I think that that's also something that we need to be mindful of. Do we model that to our children as well? Yeah. You know, do we model that? Do we show them that? Or are we still sitting in a story of, you know, scarcity there's not enough and if someone else is successful it takes away more from me like you know there's there's a lot of themes in that so much yes yeah yay um um la, 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 la. what should we move on to next um how about how to satisfy but not glorify children's fascination with toy weapons oh this is this is an interesting one <laughs> This is a really fascinating one and one that just came up at my school, actually. Um, and what's been amazing to witness at, um, at my school is where, because we have 30 children in our school, we started small this year, where the collective play has moved to. And what's been fascinating is watching the energy of the kids. Like one week they're into building this massive sand city and it's almost like every child in the school comes and is involved in it. And then the next week they were all about trying to build little homes for these little skinks, lizards that we have all over our property. And it was all about the lizards. And then um, it moved into something else. It was really incredible. And one week it moved into gunplay. And I know for quite a few parents that was really, that felt really confronting. I don't want my kids to be playing with guns and all that kind of stuff. And and it was really fascinating watching the children. Um, again, I really trust their journey of what they were doing. They were hiding. They were making teams. They were doing all this different stuff with the guns and they played it honestly for about a week and then they didn't play it again. <laughs> and it was really interesting, I think, watching the evolution of the children move through different phases and who was playing it and who wasn't. And for some of these kids, it was brilliant because they got to then connect with the older kids and they were on their teams. And it was just, it was that, that beautiful thing of just trusting what they, what was about. It wasn't ever about shooting and killing anyone. It was almost, there was a whole lot of other strategy that was going on. It was almost like a big game of hide and seek more than anything. But what was beautiful to witness at our school was um, trusting the children in their play and what they were needing to get out of it. And then when they didn't need to do it anymore, it was really interesting. And they haven't really gone back to playing it again. Yeah. It's so beautiful, isn't it? Mm. I would also love to mention um, Lawrence Cohen's um, The Love Gun Game from his beautiful book, um, Playful Parenting. Um, and I really remember my son only had a really, sh- just a really short interest, although, you know, now they play, you know, they still play fighting games, but and they're not really fighting games, they kind of mm. are. Anyway, the love gun game is basically if they're trying to shoot you or whatever, you just say things like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, you've, you've shot me with love. Now I need to come and cuddle you. Or you mm. pretend to mock die but fall over them in a right, really loving way. And they might say, no, but it's not designed. It's not a love gun. Mm. But, well, I think it's broken because it just I just want to love you and kiss <laughs> you more. Um, mm. I, I just found that was really helpful. Mm. I do think often it's 
of course, it's so normal and natural for us mm. as parents to have um, big feelings and big thoughts around this mm. because we want, our, I'm imagining, <laughs> most of us want our children to be um, non-violent. So I think mm. so much of it is often also, isn't it, our own getting some, having some listening from our empathy buddy or whoever it is yes. that we get listening from or whatever shows up, the fears and concerns around yes. it so that we can actually move in freely or to be supporting uh play mm. um to actually help children move through whatever's showing up for them i think that's such a beautiful reminder that what they can play through is often then they do not have to act out in real life so when we're processing stuff through yeah. play for children particularly it's helping them move some of those things i can i, I may have told this story once when my daughter was about five or six or something she got a really big fright from this woman on the street who was drunk and really scared her and she felt really really scared and when I said to her what do you want to play she was like I want to play like um just like she wanted to play guns and robbers or something and what she wanted to do is we were on the same team and we were sneaking around the house and we had to shoot people and it was really fascinating watching her do this because then her older brother and dad got involved you know and they were the people we were trying to find but what was so fascinating to watch is the way she played. She was trying to find some power again to feel in control from this big fright and she would even shoot them, like go to go, I got you, like and she was making like a bow and arrow or something and then and she'd say something like, don't you yell at me, right? So she was saying all the things that she wanted to say to this woman who really scared her that she couldn't but she did it through play. And so we did that for, again, a day or two and then never happened again. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a beautiful experience for me again, to really trust, again, her process of play making sense of it as she's moving and processing what she was needing to yeah it really comes back to it we've talked about we did a whole podcast on trust it was a lovely one wasn't it so um it's really based on trust but trusting children in ways that are also mean you know where do we need to support them so that they can um i think move through this is your term thank you for that i love it Lau. so we can support them to move through what what they're trying to process mm, yeah um so thank you for your other questions this listener i'm actually going to go on so that other people get to um share we'll do more of these so we can always come back to 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 respond to more so this one says um thank you for all your beautiful sharings learning a lot yay i'm so glad i could use some suggestions how to interact with other parents i'm learning to hold my child who's eight and let him express with loving limits and not forcing him to say sorry in the heat of the moment but when everything and everybody is calmed down, I experience it in our culture, some people expect to sorry and behave well straight away. Managing that all together is sometimes challenging. Hmm. Well, I'm sending lots of love and compassion, first of all, to all that shows up. And I think it can be really helpful to remember that if we're in a situation with other parents and we can see or interpreting that they're expecting a sorry and uh, maybe us to move in in more old paradigm ways that often our younger parts of us are our own past experiences will be showing up where we did experience that kind of thing we did we were ashamed or we were um, punished or you know all of those things so I think it's really helpful to understand sometimes some of why that can be even harder is when we're going into those uh, feelings from the past so actually attending to those again um, having someone listen to to those so that we're less likely in the moment to be responding from that place in ourselves and more from uh, adult parent self. 
I'll keep going. So um, mm, keep going. Yeah, you do it can be really helpful to think about everyone's needs. So like if, if we can see a parent uh, or perhaps we know someone else and perhaps they don't understand or we're parenting or aren't into it, we might, we might be the one that actually moves in and says, sorry, or, you know, actually moves in and aims to meet their needs for whatever they're wanting or to explain. But I think, uh, I, I think I keep coming back to most of all is like, the more comfortable we feel in what we're doing and the more we trust that and that, you know, that we can respond to our child with empathy and we can see what's going on for the other parent. I just think thing, those kinds of things get easier, don't they? Because we're less. Yes. And I, I find that we, um, uh, I find that when I was really learning how to find my place in this, I often would seem to attract experiences where people were really judgy or my kids just would act in the most full-on ways around people who were super, super disapproving. It would almost be funny. I'd be like, oh, mate, these, <laughs> these are the times where I'm really just wishing you would be great because I know these people are going to be super charged around what's just happened here. And that was a good reminder for me. Oh, my husband and I sometimes would look at each other and we'd be like, oh, my God, just like we'd almost have to laugh because we'd be like yep that's really going to push their buttons um you know what I have found helpful and I really I'm I really hear you on that too of, you know us doing our own work around it but I would often you know say something like I'm really sorry that happened I'm just going to help my my child with their stuff at the moment there's a bit going on for them so I'm just going to go and help them and I'm sorry that happened and and really I felt that that was honoring because I was acknowledging that person who wanted an apology or felt that something was off track but at the same time I wasn't I was really still connected to my child saying hey I know there's something bigger here going on and I'm going to go and help them so and it felt a really nice way to be able to honor both of yeah I know that my child isn't doing this or behaving this way because they want to there's there's stuff going on here this is hard for them to sit in a restaurant that's really noisy and be still for an hour and a half right or it's really hard for my child um when we're in a room and there's a lot of people and there's a lot of action going on and they see something they want and they just want to take it and they're they're a bit overwhelmed or like it was for me it was about really just acknowledging oh this is there's there's some stuff happening here and i'm going to go and support them and um you know i'm really sorry if that happened and and that way i think it felt good for me because I felt like I was really, I was just saying what I see, but also really um, I had my child's back. Yes. And I think it can be helpful to remember that the, when people are responding in those ways, they're responding from their own conditioning. Mm-hmm. And when we're responding in more compassionate ways for everybody that we're actually modeling uh, the, this um, yes. this way that this is possible, that maybe then they think next time, oh my gosh, maybe I could mm-hmm. Yes, I could do something different. So I think it's really helpful to understand yes. that cultural conditioning is, um, you know, can change, and we can actually support that change in people by, you know, modelling these yes. ways. I agree totally. I think that's super, super powerful. And when we feel confident enough in ourselves, or we've got that within us to do it, I think that is such a gift, as you say, because others watch and they go, oh, wow, I didn't have to yell at your kid or, you know, that, gosh, there must, there maybe there is something else going on for them. And I think that is super powerful because we learn by watching. Like, I think a lot of people have to see it in action to go, oh, okay, there is another way. So yeah, I agree with you. I'm remembering that story. I think I've told it once before, but when I was at a dance class, when Lana and Sunny were at like two and six or something and they were sitting there on a chair and watching 
Um, and at the end, I realized that Sunny had like pulled all these um, strands out of the person's cushion, like this beautiful cushion. And so I spent ages sitting there, like um, putting them all back in again. And literally years later, the dance teacher had become a mum, and she came to one of my workshops and said, that interaction that I watched then when I became a mum, I looked up where parenting got really into it. And she had a nanny, her nanny got into it. She then had a child and she got into it. And really I was actually not even responding in my most calmest. I was a bit, I was a bit uncomfortable that that happened, but the fact that I didn't move in and shame or punish, you know, we can never know that one interaction that we're not thinking anything of can have mm. a profound impact on the people that are watching in ways That's that we will easy. never understand. Yes. Unless absolutely. we bump into them years later and they tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good question. Mm. Okay. Next one. Um, I'm still working my way through the back catalogue. So forgive me if you've covered this. I love it. But it's a back mm. catalogue. Isn't that a lovely description? <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, but I love to hear you around sharing. Thank you. Oh, sharing is mm. a lovely one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go mm. if you start? I often think with sharing, it's really helpful to think that often the things around sharing are not often about the, the thing that's being shared. Often there's so much more about what feelings are sitting underneath. And so particularly if it's siblings or maybe children that have siblings at home, maybe new baby or something is so often the feelings around um, I'm, I'm needing to share my parents uh, and I've got big feelings around that will then show up around sharing a toy, for example. So um, if a child is having a really big uh, reaction or they're trying to take something from another child or they're just unwilling to share anything at all ever, often it, it's, uh, again, as you talk about looking underneath the behavior often indicates there's some feelings there around sharing. So um, I actually love something from um, Patty Whipler from Hand in Hand Parenting around, um, around helping children share, which I remember learning many, many years ago in my kids were little which is I think it's from her which is the person who's got the thing gets to keep the thing until they're willing to share it and if another child has got feelings around that or is trying to take it is moving into the most loving way I'm not willing for you to take that from Susie sweetheart I really see that you want the yellow truck and I'm right here and actually to be there and listen to the feelings and when we listen to the feelings that are there we actually then support them with what's really going on for them so what I found is when children have relatively few feelings bubbling up, then, you know, they may share, they, they may, you know, one child may not be willing to share yet, um, but often they'll be kind of fairly fluid with it. It's usually that there are some feelings around that are creating this being a bigger thing. So it's really not about um, enforcing sharing, but it can also be about finding uh, ways for everyone to get their needs met. So it might be asking the other child, you know, I really see that, uh, I, I'm thinking of old fashioned names, Bobby, Bobby really wants to have a go on the swing. Um, are you ready to get off yet? And they might say no and say, oh, I don't really hear that. Well, how many, how many swings do you think you might be ready for? So if we're wanting to facilitate sharing, there are ways that we can do that through talking to each child and listening to what they're needing. Mm. And um, I used to find amazing uh, often to just say, you know, I can see you both want to play with this you know, what can you think of? What ideas can you think of? And they would often come up with ways I would never have possibly even imagined. So 
I think the way I'd see it is if there are big feelings, then it's probably not about that actual thing. And it's much preferable then to actually attend to the, the cause. And if it's more about just supporting them, that they're just you know, listening, giving empathy and trusting that there will be a way for everyone to get their needs met. And that actually the most important thing is that they're being heard around what they want. And that's far more important often than actually, you know, do they get the thing or not? Is that they're really heard and loved and listened to and not coerced into doing something that they're not willing to do? Mm. Yes, I, I love that because I think as an adult, if someone walked into your house and said, mm, I really like your car, I want to have a go of it, you'd be like, uh, no. <laughs> um, you're like, why won't you share? <laughs> Just like, I mean, if we applied those rules to us as adults, we'd yeah. be like, no, that doesn't apply. And yet we do that to children all the time, I think. And I, I really, I second, I think it's beautiful. It's that how can I help you wait, you know, for a child? I see you want to acknowledge it. I'm here to help you, offering them some connection, waiting, and then for the other child to really honour their what's alive for them as well. And, you know, we see that too when kids are feeling a bit powerless they're going to cling on to a toy they're not going to let someone else play with it or if someone comes over to your house and all of a sudden they're really possessive the child nobody's allowed to touch any of their things you know and that can be again a whole lot of other stuff brewing underneath and um and that can be challenging to navigate sometimes mm. i do want to add one thing that i found really helpful if, if we were having people coming over in younger years is uh, I would say is there anything that you'd like to put away or ask that isn't played with and then we would put that away somewhere or put a cover over it so again that they would have choice over what you know as you're saying just having someone come in the house and do whatever they want with all our stuff you no know, they that so they have that sense of choice and autonomy over mm. their yeah. thing. And making sure, you know, too, that if you do have someone coming over that perhaps if you've had some, you know, present time with your child beforehand or help them move some feelings and they're often far more open to collaborating or playing or sharing all those kind of things when they, exactly as you say, when there's not a whole lot of stuff that's sitting underneath the surface for them. Yes. Mm. Mm. Good. So I'd love to hear as well if you if these are your questions and you want to go and play with them and come and let us know how you get on. I'd mm. love to, we would love to hear. Ah, so this one, um, I come from a respectful attachment conscious parenting knowledge base. Yay. In one of the episodes, you discuss how aware parenting is different um, and dies beyond attachment parenting. I would love to hear how aware and respectful parenting relate. I'm guessing there is more intentionality of getting in touch with feelings, impact of birth stories and attachment play. I find that my mix of grabbing what feels right from these three other stars looks so much like aware parenting. Yay. And I so celebrate, you know, each person, I think it's so important, isn't it, to listen to what really resonates with us. Um, do you want to dive in here, Lael? Um, look, for me, I, I, I love that you just said that. It's it's taking the bits that resonate for us because there's not one, this is exactly what you should do. I, I don't believe that should be it because we all have unique, beautiful families and different children and we can lean into a lot of the philosophies of it all. But I think it's really important I come back to finding what resonates for you as a family and that's really important. Um. I think where I guess I see the differences is definitely around the feelings and holding space for emotions. You know, for me, coming to aware parenting, I was coming from that attachment parent point of view, which was, you know, I was 
you know, trying to have, you know, as, as, you know, natural birth as possible and co-sleeping and breastfeeding and wearing my babies on my body and all and attuning, you know, being really attuned to their feelings and emotions. But what I didn't do really was the, the space, the holding space for feelings and emotions, you know, and we've shared lots about this for me. It was very much about keep my kids happy all the time, you know, distract them if they got upset, just keep feeding them whenever they, you know, cried a little, just, you know, constant that I need to make them all okay. And that for me was a huge piece of was different of holding space for feelings and emotions and the power within that that felt um incredible and then and and not and then for me also really learning about the play piece around how play can be so beneficial for connection and presence but also helping them work through traumas or healing or for cooperation those elements for sure that that for me was the two really big pieces was around using play for connection and healing and then also holding space for for feelings and and then the third piece I think really was about me and my story and realizing that um all my stuff was going to pop up as I parented and so that piece which I think was very different to perhaps where I guess, classic attachment parenting, which is all about meeting the child's need. You know, for me, I wasn't meeting any of my needs. And therefore I was not actually really meeting my kids' needs because I was in resentment and I wasn't actually taking care of myself. So I began to see, I think those three things were huge, particularly the piece about addressing my own needs, my own hurts, pieces from the past, but then also how do I support myself to be then the the parent that I want to be? What else have you got to add? Well, yeah, and I think it's really changed over the years, hasn't it? Because you know, when um, when I remember first running about aware parenting, like you know, eighteen ish years ago, the it was really more uh, classical attachment parenting, or more kind of mainstream parenting, or aware parenting. And you know, nowadays, trauma informed parenting is you know, it's become so much more well known and understood in the whole of the parenting field to really understand. The impact of a baby and child's experiences um, on their, you know, on how they feel in themselves. Uh, and I would still say, and of course, you know, hand in hand parenting is so similar to aware parenting. So I'd really like to acknowledge that as well. Um, and what I really think, as well as what you've said and what this listener has said, is I think aware parenting's understanding of control patterns is so exquisite and so nuanced. And I, I don't see you know, I think that it has an understanding of that and how to work with that and um, be with our child's control patterns in other way, words, how they have learned to either rep- repress their feelings or dissociate is uh, it's so profound to actually really understand that. And I, I think that's something that aware parenting really um, stands with and to, to actually understand, you know, if a child's sucking their thumb or uh, uh, has a dummy or is eating every time they're upset or is on a screen every time they're upset or is twirling the hair, picking the nose, any of those things that we understand what's actually going on and what we can do to support our children. So they have fewer of those control patterns. So I would love to add that in as well. Mm, I think that's, that's a beautiful point. Yes. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> speak well there's there's different nuances that I find with the way parenting when I first started I was just about well I'm listening to feelings and I'm using some play and yeah. and that was huge and then once I kind of got my head around that then it was looking at well where are we blocking the feelings and emotions you know particularly with my kids and then myself and then it was looking at all my stuff as well on top of that and so then I feel like I've got a handle of that and then it asked me to go even deeper <laughs> into more of my own 
processes and healings and my stories. And so I think it's a journey. It is an absolute journey into more and more awareness and a deeper level of connection and intimacy with your kids. That's, that's what I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so with you. And I do think there is something, uh, even though feelings are now more generally accepted, there's something about the deep trust in a child's or a baby and a baby's feeling, you know, even that a baby's feelings, it's still so radical in so many other um, perspectives, but you know, that, that crying and raging and tantrums with loving support are profound relaxation um healing um stress releasing mechanism not even mechanism processes and i think the way that aware parenting holds that with that just absolute not acceptance of it but deep celebration and honoring and love that for the fact that we have these and for me that that takes it to a different level where you know we're inviting we're really inviting that kind of regular emotional expression Whereas again, I still, I I do think from the cultural conditioning and the paradigm that most of us have grown up in, there's often acceptance of feelings, but not necessarily this seeing that they're actually beautiful, 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 not only natural and normal, but incredible and beautiful, wonderful things. Um, Yeah, I could say, we could talk a whole podcast Mm, about that because it's, mm. I think, something we're both so passionate about, isn't it? We so so love feelings, (laughs) we so love Mm -hmm. crying. There's not one part of me that sees it as bad or there's wrong. I just go, oh, great, what's here? What's alive? What needs to be felt and moved? And I think what you just said too really resonates with me, the piece of trust, of really sitting in that space that trusts my child's journey, that is asking me to sit in deep trust and hold space for whatever they need to process what they need to, but really trusting their ability to do it and that that's part of their growth and their journey. That's, you know, that's big. It's a huge, huge bit. And and we've done a podcast on trust really on trusting ourselves and the messages we've got around trust. And I feel like that, um, yeah, that, that creates, that's a big piece. That's a bit different. Mm. Yes. And I think linked with that, like the, is the trust and the feelings is basically the more we're doing our own inner work and the more of our child's feelings we're able to listen to and the more we're able to trust their own journey and support them in that, like that is like the core of it, isn't it? And that is, I do still think that that is something that our parenting holds differently to many other paradigms. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyway, we could clearly talk a lot about that one. Um, we haven't got much time left, so maybe just one last one, which is um, the term holding space is used all the time. I'd appreciate it if it was unpacked, explained, explored. Mm-hmm. No, you tend to, this is what you tend to use that term. Mm. I do. I, I say holding space like a lot. Yes. I remember, I remember, um, you know, years and years ago, kind of in the quest middle of my kind of, what is this parenting thing all about? And just the, you know, what, what really, what is the mission here, <laughs> the mission? And um, I remember having a conversation with my friend going, oh, my God, the goal of a parent is to be spacious. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, to be able to sit there with a child, whether they need play or whether they've got anger or whether they've got tears, and to sit with a capacity to just say, hey, I see you and I can hold this. And for me, that word spaciousness was just like, ah, that's what my children are asking of me, to be spacious, 
to not judge, to not fix, to not, you know, project all my own stuff, but to just sit there as that beautiful container of spaciousness for them to bring whatever they need to work through. And the energy they receive from me is, hey, I've got this, I can hold this for you. So then they have the opportunity safely to move through whatever they need to. So for me, holding space is, is about that spaciousness, is an ability to turn up and sit there with deep compassion and empathy uh, and to witness and create safe a safe container for them if that's what's needed, but to just be there to say, hey, I see you and I trust your journey to work through this and I'm a safe person that you can bring that to. That for me is about holding space. And we can we do that with adults. We do that, you know, f- with each other in friendship. We might do it for our intimate partner. We do it for ourselves, and we do it for our children. You know, that for me is what it is. And it's an energetic thing. For me, it is. It's an energetic sitting in that center of trust and just like I'm here, I've got you. And I really am holding that potential of you moving through this grief or this anger or this fear or this terror or this pain uh, to feel it, express it, and then come out the other side. That's that's where it sits for me. Yum. I love that so much. Yay. <laughs> Thank you, Lael. Um, so we did have a couple more. Ah, so we did have a few more questions. Mm, I know you need to leave, Lael. Should we do? Can we just do one more really quick one? Mm-hmm. We'll just finish really quickly. So um, this one is discovering your podcast has been such a game changer. And my favorite thing about nighttime feeds with my little one. Yay! Thank you so much. It's our pleasure. Um, I let my baby girl cry in my arms, but the moment she finds lots of things overwhelming, like seeing family and even sometimes trips to the park if she's not in her sling, I just had to carry her home in my arms while I push the push chair. Should I avoid these things that trigger her, which is my natural instinct, or should I keep doing them and just holding space for the emotions that come? I'd love to respond really quickly, which is um, I think is always thinking about our needs and our baby's needs and to understand that when when babies are little, it's really easily easy for them to get overwhelmed and overstimulated. And I think it's really looking into, well, what what do we need in order for to fill our cup up as a mum or as a dad so that we can actually really give all that, that we need to give to our baby? Um, and if we are doing things like taking them out, like carrying them in a sling, for example, is going to be more protective from overstimulation when they're really little. So it's thinking about, well, how can I minimize the overwhelm for them uh, and also get my needs met? And do I really need to go to, do I really want to go to this thing? So I think, again, it's also a really helpful opportunity to say, you know, could, if I'm, you know, if you need to go and get food uh, and you have a partner are you willing to ask them to go or do you, do you want to go and ask them to that they they stay with the baby and you go out so it's I think thinking about everyone's needs and how to minimize overwhelm and overstimulation but also knowing that we can listen to a baby's feelings when they feel overwhelmed and they can release those so I think it's um, playing and dancing with all of those taking into account everyone's needs Anything you want to add to that? Mm, no, I think that's beautiful. I think that's a beautiful explanation. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, thank you. There's a couple more questions. So I'm sorry we didn't get to those. Um, we will do another one of these. So come and let us know if you've got more questions. Um, mm. Anything that you want to share about, Lael? Any offering that you want to <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say our book's coming soon. Um, that's, that's what I'm excited about. We, I love the process of this book. We started it like, I don't know, a year and a half ago and we got stopped and then we almost finished it and then we were stopped again. And I love the evolution that it's taken to get to where it is because it's so been about our own growth as well. So I'm really excited for when that happens. That's going to be coming soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about for you? Well, mm. I'm actually thinking what I was thinking today as well is also to really recommend all of Aletha's books. Like if you're into aware parenting or you've got into it through the podcast and you haven't yet her book, read her books, I would so highly recommend all of them. Um, but also, you know, starting off the ones that really call to you because her work is so amazing and we're both so grateful to her and, you know the amazingness of bringing aware parenting into the world so i'm um, going to check those out on awareparenting.com she's got all her books there yeah and if you do want to learn more i mean marion has amazing courses and i've got courses and and there's you know mentoring stuff that we can do but there's also so many aware parenting instructors all over the world who um do beautiful work and you can go to awareparenting.com and look for um instructor and they're all listed there so if you do need some support and people charge different things depending on where they are in the world and what they offer um there is a lot of support out there so please um go and check out that if um if you're wanting some extra support because when you're starting off and when it's new and particularly if you don't have a community of people who do it it can feel really challenging and confronting and we do sometimes need that guidance so um so yeah please know that that's out there as well mm. and I would love to add as well if you if you if something's going on and you're doing all the things and stuff isn't shifting it doesn't generally mean that you know we need some more support or there's something going on for us so there is often a time that's really important to reach out and get some help with that we also do have a free um, international Facebook group as well which is so welcome to come and join we have a team of instructors who um, facilitate that so come and check that out as well mm, beautiful well, thanks for being here everybody mm. I'm sending you lots of compassion and love on your parenting journey mm, so much love to you Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.